0: Growing in God's Word and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus, this is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh.
1: The Holy One of God, the Son of God has come to town. And I'm telling you, folks, every time the Son of God comes into town, the kingdom
0: of darkness must retreat. There's an old hymn that some of you may be familiar with, Victory in Jesus. That song speaks of what Jesus' death on the cross accomplished for us. Many people know that truth intellectually, but how many know that truth practically?
1: you don't understand what's going on, you're confused, you're upset, you're angry, you're fearful, you're rejected. Do you live in the reality of the victory that's already won?
0: I'm Rick Freeman. Welcome to Crosswalk. We're continuing our study in the book of Mark in our series, Jesus, the Real Action Hero. Pastor Clay is pointing out five declarations in the first chapter of the book of Mark. We've covered three already, and today we're going to look at the demon's declaration and the leper's declaration. The demon-possessed man was under attack from a spiritual enemy. The leper was under attack from a physical enemy. What we'll see in both instances is that Jesus takes action and comes to their rescue.
1: Matter of fact, I'm pretty sure that about the time Jesus strolled through the door, that demon said to himself, well, this can't be good.
0: As you'll hear Pastor Clay say today, Jesus' action rescued all of us from Satan's power and from our own sin. The problem for many, though, is that they aren't living daily in the victory that Jesus secured. Pastor Clay is going to give us two very important pieces of advice to help us live in the reality of the victory that has already been won. Thanks for joining us today. Now here's Pastor Glenn.
1: We've been working our way through the book of Mark and looking at what I call five uh, declarations. Uh, in Mark chapter One, so if you have a copy of god 's Word, uh, turn to Mark chapter One this morning and' uh, going to read uh, the parts that we 've already covered uh, so that we kind of get the context of the whole thing, and then we 're going to look at the, the last two declarations we 've covered three so far we 're going to look at the last two declarations and uh, that really show just how, how blessed uh, you and I are. We started uh, with the, this declaration here 's where we started uh, a few weeks ago. first one was John the Baptist's declaration, and it was this: it was repent. John's declaration to the people, to us, was, hey, repent. We talked a lot about that, but let me read. Uh, in the beginning of the gospel uh, of, uh, of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you. Isaiah's prophesying about John the Baptist. Who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea was going out to him, and all the people of Jerusalem, and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist, and his diet was locusts and wild honey. And he was preaching and saying, after me, one is coming who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John saying to the people, it's time to, to get ready. The kingdom of God is at hand. The Messiah that you've all been waiting for so long is coming. And you must repent. You must turn around. You must go in a new direction. John's message, his declaration was repent. The second declaration came from the Father as he speaks. And John doesn't cover quite as much as some of the other gospel writers do. But the the, the Father's declaration was recognize. Recognize who this is in your midst. Certainly to us that has been the message that has come down through the years. Uh, Picking it up in verse uh, 9. In those days Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the water. And immediately coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opening and the Spirit like a dove descending upon him. And a voice came out of the heavens, You are my beloved Son, and you I am well pleased. And Immediately the Spirit impelled him to go into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild beasts, and the angels were ministering to him. The call was to to recognize uh, the, the Father said, this is the one, this is the Messiah, this is the one whom I have sent. And there were two aspects of that that I really tried to focus on. That we have to remember that he is Savior and he is, y'all remember, and he is Lord. He is both of those things. That is who the Christ is. And, Jesus, and the Father says, you have to recognize that this is who this is. There have been lots of wannabe Messiahs have come along. There been lots of people touting that they could change your life or that they, you know, have, have whatever you need or whatever else. But this is my, this is the only one he said it about, this is my beloved son. In whom I am well pleased. Recognize. Uh, The third declaration came from Jesus himself. And that declaration was respond. You need to respond. Uh, Pick it up in verse uh, 14. Now after John had been taken into custody. Jesus came into Galilee. Preaching the gospel of God. And saying. The time is fulfilled. And the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And he was going along by the sea of Galilee. He saw Simon. And Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net in the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also in the boat, mending the nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went away to follow him. Respond. That's, that's always Jesus' declaration to us. It was his declaration then, and there were three aspects of it. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Repent, turn around, just, it was carrying on John's message. Believe in the gospel, the good news about me, and follow me. They, they all go hand in glove, two sides of the same coin. It's all the same, that I'm repenting, I'm believing and I'm following. It all all goes together and it's part of the response to the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And Jesus unapologetically says, hey, follow me. If you want want life, if you want life more abundant, if you want uh, satisfaction, if you want the things that, that I can bring to you along with eternity and all that goes with that, follow me. That was his declaration. Now... Let's pick up the fourth declaration today. And the fourth declaration uh, comes from the demon. And the declaration is this, retreat. Or maybe I should say it like this, retreat! Verse 21, let's pick it up. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue, and he began to teach, he being Jesus. They were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority... And not as the scribes. And just then, there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, saying, What business do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. Throwing him into convulsions, the unclean spirit cried out with a loud voice, And came out of him. They were all amazed. So that they debated among themselves saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. Immediately the news about him spread everywhere into all the surrounding district of Galilee. Uh, Jesus' ministry. is the early day of Jesus early days of Jesus' ministry. His ministry has started, and Jesus is beginning to go around and impact people's lives. He's he's been to John, John the Baptist, the baptism in the Jordan River. Uh, John, Mark just mentioned it in passing, but he's gone into the wilderness. He's, he's spent forty days out there in the wilderness, temptation of the enemy, all that kind of stuff uh, comes. And he comes back, he he begins to gather his disciples and he and he's starting his ...his ministry and he, and he begins to enter into uh, the towns and he begins to be this man of action. Part of that action included his teaching. Now, uh, synagogue, it says he entered the synagogue. Synagogue, you know, was basically just a Jewish version of, of a church, of a local church. You can think of it that way. The temple was in Jerusalem, right? That's where the sacrificial system took place. That's where the, the nation and the people knew that, they, that the sacrifice represented, you know, the one who would come and, and, and pay the ultimate price for their sins. And that's where all that took place. But, but most of the, the towns and the villages had these synagogues. And it was in the synagogues where uh, rabbis or teachers would, would teach the word of God and, uh, and, and they would give in religious instruction and, and all that kind of stuff would go on daily in the synagogues. And so Jesus comes into the synagogue. But Jesus doesn't teach the way they're used to. Jesus doesn't teach the way the other teachers teach. The other teachers uh, would usually perhaps read a passage of Scripture, and then they would would probably quote uh, or paraphrase what some other perhaps more famous teacher had said about it. Do you understand what I'm saying? They might say something like, uh, Rabbi so-and-so, they read the past scripture and they'd say, Rabbi so-and-so has said da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Or they might say, you know, as it is written in the book of Moses. You know, they might use Moses as authority. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus taught as the one having the authority. And, and they, weren't, they weren't used to that. Now, when the text says that, uh, that as he entered the synagogue, there was a man in there with an unclean spirit. When the text says that there was a man with an unclean spirit, it simply means that there was a man in there who was demon Possessed. He had a demon possession. Now, uh, I know you know we don't think a lot about demon possession these days, and, and you know, and, and it, it's just something that we don't uh, talk a lot about. It seems like, but demon possession is real. It's not just something that that goes on in the movies. It. it it seems ironic to me that a culture that is today, and y'all going to have to admit this is true, I think. In a culture today, at least, you know, in, here in America, that is obsessed with werewolves, vampires, and zombies. That, it, that, that, it is all, that it's like we're almost uh, discouraged from even thinking about an actual real spiritual enemy that exists in our midst. And... Listen, can I tell you this? And it's not not every chance. It doesn't mean that every person that has a physical ailment or uh, an emotional or mental or psychological issue is demon-possessed. It doesn't mean that. But it it does go on probably more than we recognize. And I can assure you, ladies and gentlemen, you have a lot greater uh, potential to interact or run into some type of demon activity than you do of running into a werewolf. Twilight or otherwise. Get that... Anyway, anyway, this demon is in the wrong place at the wrong time because demand has come to town. And he is not about to let the forces of darkness keep the light of the gospel from penetrating the world around us. He's not about to let that happen. And and so the demon's declaration is basically a declaration of, of retreat. Oh, I I know who this is. This is the Holy One of God. Matter of fact, I'm pretty sure that about the time Jesus strolled through the door, that demon said to himself, well, this can't be good. (laughs) It is a declaration of retreat. Can I tell you this? Can I remind you of this, ladies and gentlemen? The enemy has been trying to interfere with the light of the gospel from the very beginning. He tried in the Garden of Eden... by by deceiving Adam and Eve into rebelling against God, but God made a covering and God made a provision and God made a promise that one day he would send the one who would crush the head of Satan. And Satan was forced to yell, Retreat! He tried in Bethlehem when he wanted to have Herod have the baby Jesus killed and God made a way of escape. So they went down to Egypt and lived until Herod was dead and Satan was forced to yell, Retreat! He tried in the wilderness when he came out for 40 days, tempting Jesus, trying to get Jesus to bend his knee to Satan. But Jesus stood on the authority of the Word of God, and Satan was forced to yell, Retreat! He tried at the end of Jesus' ministry when he he killed him through the works of those as he he worked, as he killed him and tried to keep him dead. That was the whole point, by the way, keep him dead. But up from the grave he arose. Y'all remember that? With a mighty triumph for his foes. He arose, the victor from the dark domain. He lives forever with his saints to reign. He arose, he arose. Hallelujah. Christ arose, and Satan is forced to say, Retreat. It, It is a declaration of retreat. And it is foolish. Listen to me. It is foolish for you to go through your life acting as if you do not have a spiritual enemy who is real and who is engaged and is doing all he can to hinder you from your part in the kingdom of light. Listen, uh, no offense, no offense, but this is really not about you. This is not about you. This is about the glory of God and the advancement of his kingdom into this world of darkness. And you and I have to understand that there is a real enemy. I, I, I was with a team a few years ago down in Ecuador. And, uh, some of us went uh, one night uh, to a to, to worship service in, this, in, in someone's home. And uh, there must, I don't know, I don't know, I, I didn't count, but there had to be at least 20 of us uh, crammed into this room that generally wasn't much bigger than a, what you might call a walk-in closet. It was just this, this tiny little room. There was no electricity. Uh, there was just a, a, a very few uh, number of candles lit and creating a little bit of light. There was one old uh, guitar with missing one string. And uh, it was one of the most glorious worship services I've ever been to in my life. The, the house where we had that worship service belonged to a gentleman who had only been a believer for, if I remember right, it was about six months. The missionary told me he'd been a believer for about uh, six months. Before then, he was uh, a raging alcoholic. He, he was drunk every day, every night. Uh, Phil said he, he would come home, he'd come home every night and beat his wife terribly and there he was in this little candle lit tiny room with all these people crammed in there saved and sober and lifting his hands and smiling and just worshiping jesus that's right and satan is forced to say retreat I've read stories of of when uh, when 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 the Holy One of God enters into a village and and the and the village responds and people begin to come to Christ. I've read stories of witch doctors in the in the town who have been shut completely, put out of business because the people have moved away from practices of the occult and have begun to trust in God. And Satan is forced to yell retreat. Some of you have heard me talk about. Uh, a guy that Cindy and I went to school with named Wayne Brown. I haven't talked about Wayne in a couple years, I think. But uh, he's one of my favorite subjects to talk about. Uh, Wayne, Wayne was always kind of a troublemaker. He was always, you know, getting into something. But I believe it was in... I believe it was the summer between his freshman and sophomore year in high school. that he was working for a roofing company. And he was carrying hot buckets of tar up a ladder and to hand them to a guy on the roof... And one of those buckets of tar slipped out of the guy's hand that he was handing it to. And it poured down on, on Wayne. And uh, it, just, it just terribly disfigured his, his, I think it was his left arm, his left hand, the left side of his face. It, it literally burnt his ear off. Wayne was just plumb mean after that. He was a guy. No, no kidding. I mean, we. There was no, it wasn't official, but he, he was. He was unofficially voted uh, the guy most likely to end up in prison in, from his class in, in high school. And he was well on his way uh, that direction. Shortly after high school, he was. Uh, he was running drugs out of Columbia for uh, a South Florida drug cartel, and it would take too long to tell all the details of it, but the Holy One of God showed up in Wayne's life in a very dramatic way, which he does in all of our lives, even though we, we may categorize that stuff. Every time God touches a life, it's very dramatic, ladies and gentlemen. But he shows up in Wayne's life. The Holy One of God shows up. Uh, Wayne is miraculously delivered from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. I, never, I love telling the story about the first time seeing. I ran into Wayne after he gave his life to Jesus Christ. Uh, we were at the uh, Speckle Perch Festival uh, in Okeechobee, Florida, Speckle Perch cap- Capital of the World. So Speckle Perch Festival and uh, uh, there's a turtle race uh, go- going on and the turtle race may sound a little weird to you but uh, when you're from the redneck capital of the world where uh, uh, mud bogs and swamp cabbage uh, you know, are a regular everyday part of life then uh, turtle uh, race isn't that uh, unusual. But he's in a turtle race and uh, Wayne enters his turtle in the turtle race and he's got this big old box box turtle. Big old box turtle. And he has spray painted with orange neon paint. He has spray spray paint it jesus saves across the shell of this of this turtle of his turtle and he didn't care where he finished as long as everybody just had was it oh yeah what, what? jesus saved <laughs> and satan is forced to say retreat that's the declaration that's going on because this the holy one of god the son of god has has come to town and I'm telling you, folks, every time the Son of God comes into town, the kingdom of darkness must retreat. There's this passage in uh, Matthew chapter 16 where uh, Jesus is asking his disciples, who, who do you guys hear that they're saying that I am? Who do they, who do they say that I am? And some of the disciples respond, and say, well, some say you're yeah, this, some say this, yeah, some say that. Yeah. And then Jesus says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter, of course, makes this, this fantastic declaration of faith. Peter says, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus commends him for it. He commends him for his statement that, that he says. He says, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, Peter, but my father who is in heaven. So he commends him for it. And then he says, he says this, Matthew chapter 16, I think verse 18. He says, and I also say to you that you are Peter. Remember, Peter just said, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And I also say to you that you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Now, let me just say this. Not necessarily an attempt to throw the Catholic uh, church under the bus, but in my opinion, they got it wrong here. Uh, The Catholic church, uh, I believe, wrongly interprets this passage of Scripture to uh, say that Peter is the rock that Christ builds his church on. Uh, Some of you uh, may be aware of this, but... Uh, Peter's name, remember, it originally was not Peter, it was Simon. As a matter of fact, we just read where he was at the water and Jesus went down there. Simon was in the boat. His name was Simon. Jesus changed his name to Peter. The word Peter uh, in Greek means, means rock. It's basically what it means. And so the Catholic Church says, see there? Jesus is saying, you're the rock, and on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it some of you may not be aware that the Greek text makes a pretty interesting play on words here in Matthew 16:18. Uh, 18. Uh, as I said a moment ago, the word Peter uh, means rock. The, the Greek uh, phrase is uh, petros. Uh, it mean, and it means, it does mean rock, but it, it basically means a, a portion of the rock or a little piece of the rock or a little stone, or perhaps it could even, even mean pebble, but it means a small piece of rock. And so Jesus says, you are petros. How, how the text records it you are petros in greek you're 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 rock you're your little rock your li- little you'll stone and, and peter did he had strength and and he was going to be a, a a vital part of the of the birth of the kingdom and uh, of the church and all that kind of stuff jesus says you are you're petros and then there's a then there's a turn in the phrase he says um and on this and the the word is petra and, and the word Basically means the, the entire encompassing piece of rock, the giant rock, the giant boulder. So I believe it is it is not Peter that is the emphasis here, but it is rather Peter's statement. What was Peter's statement? You're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus is saying, that's right, Peter. And that's what I'm going to build my church. I'm going to build my church on the fact that I am the Christ. I'm the son of the living God. I'm going to build my church. I'm going to redeem my church. I'm going to empower my church on, by the very fact that I am the Christ. I am the son of the living God. And the gates of Hades shall not be able to stand against it. Why? Because I'm the Christ. I'm the son of the living God. And they must retreat in my presence. It's the declaration of retreat. Now, here's what this means for us. When we are in the in the uh, in the midst of of life and and, and, our, and our our life's aim, we are when we are striving for our life's aim and by the way, our life's aim, if, if you're here and you profess to be a follower of Jesus Christ, your life's aim is the same as every other single person in this place. It may take different shapes, different sizes, but your life's aim is the same. It is to know him and to make him known. That's it. To know him more deeply, to know him more personally, to know him more intimately, and to make him known to others. But when we are striving to fulfill our life's aim, we face adversity. Do we not? We face hardships, we face trials, we we face difficulties in life. And it, I've said it already, but it would be foolish, it is foolish to think that you do not have uh, an enemy and that some of those adversities that you face, it would be foolish to think that some of those adversities that you face are not demonic in their origin, that are not satanic in their origin, that there is not uh, an enemy that is coming against you trying to hinder you because what's your life's aim? What's your life's aim? To know him and to make him known. To think that there would not be opposition to you. There will be opposition to you. It's going to come. So, I want to, ask you, I want to ask you a question. And I'm going to have Tyler bring it up on the screen. Because it's a very important question. The question is this. Do you live in the reality of the victory that has already been won? Now think about that sentence, that question for a moment. Do you live in the reality of the victory that has already been won? Because... You know that intellectually, don't you? You know the victory has been won, don't you? Right? If you're here and you profess Christ, you know that, uh, that Jesus was the son of God. You know that he came to earth. He, he died on a cross. He rose again. Obtained uh, a pardon for us by his death. Uh, his, his substitutionary death obtained eternal life for me. And because of that, I have the promise of eternal life and the power of God dwelling in me. Right? You know that. Theology 101. Right? You know that intellectually. But here's my question to you. Do you know it practically? Do you live in the reality of the victory that has already been won? You know intellectually that Satan cannot destroy you. You know intellectually that he cannot detain you. You know intellectually that he cannot keep you from what is yours... ...and for whose you are in Christ Jesus... So here's the question, why then, if you know that intellectually, why do you let him distract you, disturb you, hinder you in your daily walk with him? Do you know what I'm saying? Okay, all right, I'll say it. Maybe not everybody in here, but some of you know exactly what I'm talking about right now. You live lives that are oftentimes defeated because in the midst of your circumstances, you you just you don't understand what's going on. You're confused, you're upset, you're angry, you're fearful, you're rejected. You're... Do you live... In the reality of the victory that's already been won. Are you kidding me? Listen to me. You're a child of the king. You've been adopted into the family of God. You've been redeemed. You've been forgiven. You've been empowered by God. And this I can tell you in, in our lives. This, this truth I can, I can tell you with absolute certainty. That if we will stand on the word of God. And rely completely on the power of God. We will see the hand of God move in our lives. And the enemy of God Retreat. But we have to live in that reality. Not just know it up here. We have to live it every day in our lives. Okay, 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 okay. Hurry up. You're belaboring the point. I'm going to tell you. How do we do that? How do I do that? I get it. Live in the reality. I understand what I'm supposed to do. But, but I'm, uh, you know, I don't my life. I'm not sure what's going on. I'm, I'm a, how do we live? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you two pieces of advice. Okay? The first one. I got from a book I read a couple of years ago and for the life of me, I cannot remember the name of it, I'm sorry, um, and cannot remember the author, uh, but, uh, but I, I've, I've used it many times. I've heard Cindy give this counsel to women numerous times. Uh, the second piece of advice is really just an extension of the first piece of advice. How do we live in the reality of the victory that has already been won? This may sound strange, but here's the first piece of advice. You need to stop listening to yourself and you need to start talking to yourself. Now, that's not exactly how the guy put it in the book. Uh, Cindy reminded me that he said it a little differently, but uh, I'm up here, so (laughs) that's the way it came out. You need to stop listening to yourself, and you need to start talking to yourself. Well, that sounds kind of strange, Pastor. What do you mean by that? Well, here's what I mean. Most people live their lives with the, uh, what do I call it, the buzz, the constant buzz of our circumstances in our head. Y'all know, some of y'all know what I'm talking about? Man, I don't... and listen, this is what you're doing. You're listening to yourself. Say stuff like, "Why? Why doesn't anybody want me? Why do I get rejected? Why didn't I get that job? Why can't I get a raise? Why did they? Why, why were they able to get a, a, a new car? Why why, why? why are my kids sick? Why? Why is this? Why is that? Why is this? You understand what you're doing? You're listening. You're listening to yourself, and that's, and it's always there. Why do I have to? Live. Why do I have to? Why does my spouse have to be that way? Why does our marriage have to be on the right? Why does why do I have to be lonely? Why do I have to be rejected? Why do I have to be fearful? Why do, this stuff that's always going on? Maybe not everybody in here, but some of you know again know exactly what I'm talking about. Listen, stop, stop, stop listening to yourself and start talking to yourself. Start talking to yourself about the victory that has already been won. Because you know it, right? You already admit it. Y'all admitted it to me. I'm pretty sure in my mind you all raised your hands. You admitted it to me. You already know up here that the victory's already won, right? Theology 101. Stop listening to yourself and start talking to yourself about the victory that's already won. And listen, I tell people this all the time. Say it out loud. Don't even, you know, I don't care who thinks you're weird or whatever. You just say it out loud. You say... Every time that here it comes, here it comes. Oh man, here, why do my circumstances be like, why do I have to go through this trial? Why does this just stop? Say, no, no, in the name of Jesus. And I'm telling you, say it out loud in the name of Jesus. I will not let this thought come into my head. I am redeemed. I'm a child of the King. He has bought me, He has paid the full price for me. I have a promise of His power with me, His presence with me, the promise of heaven someday. I will not listen to this. I'm telling you, just say it out loud. You stop listening to yourself and you start talking to yourself. Do you understand what I'm saying? Start talking to yourself about what God has already done, and you say, "Well, that's that's just a that's just a mind game. That's just a no, no. It's acknowledging the fact that God is is able, and that the enemy is defeated. And instead of just knowing it up here, you're going to actually start living it out. But but you gotta you gotta you gotta say it. You gotta stop listening to yourself. You gotta start talking to yourself. Second piece of advice, uh, like I said, it's just kind of. Uh, natural connection to it you got to stop waiting on god and you got to start walking with god now listen i know there are times when god has us wait i know that god there's times when god you know is where we're praying to him we're speaking to him he, he has us in places of waiting at times and he's working out circumstances i'm not talking about that what i'm talking about is this this place we come to in our life where we're just you know oh man if if only this had turned out differently, or, or only that, or, or man, I just, I'm just waiting for God to move, or I'm just praying that God will change this, or God will do that, I'm, I'm just... Stop! Stop! Newsflash, this is your life. The good, the bad, and the ugly. It is your life. And every second that you spend Saying, well, if only this, or I wish that, or, or why doesn't he do that? Or, every second you spend doing that is another second that you've lost forever. You can't get it back. Stop waiting on God to change your circumstances and start walking with God in what he desires to do in your circumstances. Do you get that? Do you understand what I'm saying? And listen, I can preach it myself as much as I'm preaching it, y'all. And I'm preaching pretty hard right now. Might have to bring a out here in a second but you understand what I'm saying you got you got to stop oh you know why, why did this turn out why did why did that God I'm just praying would you do something God would you do this just just listen and again say it out loud say it out loud Lord God forgive me forgive me for when I have been waiting around for you to change something or do something different or bring something that I want you to do God would you forgive me for wasting your time and mine, God, right now, I'm going to choose to walk with you into whatever, whenever, however you have for me, I'm going to choose to walk in that, Lord God. I'm going to walk with you because your word says that you'll never leave me, you'll never forsake me. And so, Father, I'm going to walk with you into my circumstances. And God, if you want to change my circumstances for better ah, or for worse, God, I will walk with you because you're going to walk with me. And God, I know there's no safer or better place for me to be than walking with you. So, Father, forgive me for all that stuff about change this or do that or, or whatever. God, I'm just going to walk with you. You, you. You're in control. You can change. You may, and you may change. And, and he may make things different. He may think, make things better. He may. But listen, you, if, you just, if you're just floundering around waiting for something to happen, you've got to start walking. Because this I know. When the Holy One of God shows up in our lives, the enemy is forced to declare a retreat. Okay. Um, that's one of the reasons we're blessed. Let me give you one more real quickly. Let me give you one more declaration today. And the declaration comes from the leper. And the declaration is this. Rejoice. Verse 29. Y'all alright? Is that? Y'all alright? <laughs> it's kind of quiet. Kind of quiet. Y'all scared me. Verse yeah. Verse 29. And immediately after they came out of the synagogue, they came into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now, Simon's mother-in-law was lying sick with a fever, and immediately they spoke to Jesus about her. And he came to her and raised her up, taking her by the hand, and the fever left her, and she waited on them. When evening came, after the sun had set, they began... uh, bringing to him all who were ill and, and those who were demon-possessed, and the whole city had gathered at the door, and he healed many who were uh, ill with various diseases, and he cast out many demons, and he spoke with... Uh, and, he was not, and he was not permitting the demons to speak because they knew who he was. In the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went away to a secluded place and was praying there. Simon and his companions searched for him, and they found him, and they said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go somewhere else. Must have sounded strange to them. Let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby so that I may preach there also. For that is what I came for. And he went into their synagogues throughout all Galilee, preaching and casting out demons. And a leper came to Jesus, beseeching him and and falling on his knees before him and saying, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Moved with compassion, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing. Be cleansed. And he sternly warned him and immediately sent him away. And he said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priests and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Verse 45, but he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the news around to such an extent extent that Jesus could no longer publicly enter a city, but stayed out in unpopulated areas. And they were coming to him from everywhere. Man, you talk about a, a man of action. I mean, Jesus is, he's, he's healing the sick left and right. He's casting out demons left and right. He's, he's teaching in synagogues all over Galilee. He is a man of action. And in the midst of all of that action that's recorded, I know there's a lot going on there in the closing part of chapter 1, but in the midst of all that's going on is the story of this leper. Now, leprosy is not something that I don't think that we see a lot, at least not in, in our country uh, these days. But leprosy can be a, a just a, a terrible disease. It causes uh, s- skin sores, disfigurement. It can cause all lots of stuff dealing with that, and of course, it's a highly contagious. Can be a highly contagious disease. So for the person that contracted leprosy in Jesus' day, it it, it was it was it was over. In a sense, cut off, cut off from their family because nobody's going to want to be around. Him. Nobody, if you get near him, if you touch him, I might get that leprosy as well. No one, no one would have anything to do with this guy. Cut off from his family, cut off from from his friends, cut off from the people that he knew. Really, cut off from all hope for his life. Then you notice uh, that Mark, this guy who's recording this action. Do you know that? Uh, notice that Mark. Indicates that Jesus reached out and touched the leprous man. Now Jesus doesn't need to do that, right? I mean, he's God. He can just say, hey, you're clean. (laughs) Right? I mean, he can. But but Mark specifically points out that Jesus reached out and touched the leprous man. Listen to me. That would have been medically and socially unthinkable. Nobody would do that. But the Son of God will. The son of God will reach out and touch what is unclean and make clean. Listen, how long, what, was it, what must that have been like for that guy? How long had it been? I don't know. How long had it been since he had just felt an embrace? How long had it been since Jesus just felt someone touch him? You know, we all know this, medical scientists, everybody knows the power of touch. I'm of the belief that, that that man's spirit was being healed even as his body was being healed as Jesus reached out and just, just laid his hand and just touched him. Not only was he imparting power that would, that would cleanse the disease, but he was saying to this man, I care for you. You're important. You matter. And that's what, that's what the Son of God does, ladies and gentlemen. For you or somebody that you know or somebody who may listen to this, to this uh, podcast, whatever the case may be, it doesn't matter how many times you've been rejected by other people. It doesn't matter how deep the sin goes in your life. Hey, and we've all, we, we, we've been there. We've been down those roads. It doesn't matter how bad you think you've messed up. It doesn't matter how far you think you're gone. There is no one that the Son of God will not reach out and touch. Uh, the reason Jesus told the man, don't say anything to anybody about this, is more than likely because, as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, Israel is looking for a political Messiah, a military Messiah. They're looking for somebody that's going to you know, set up his kingdom right there on earth and going to wipe out the Romans and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and, and that's not what Jesus came for. That's not what he came to do. Plus the fact, as, as the text implies, everybody is coming to him. And listen, it's not that Jesus didn't care. It does, it, what the text says, the mood with compassion, he reached out and touched man. It's not that he didn't care. It's not that he didn't want to heal people. But, but listen, can I, uh, that's not ultimately why Jesus came. That's not what, because listen, the sick that he healed, they would get sick again. The lame that he made walk, they would eventually have to lie down again. The hungry that he fed, they would be hungry again. The blind whose sight he restored, their sight would eventually dim. The, the dead that he raised would eventually die again. Jesus came to teach and to provide us with something far more important. And that is the, the reality that eternal is far more important than the temporal. And to heal us from a disease far worse than leprosy. The disease of sin that struck all of our lives. And so I'm going to tell you something. I thought about this, you know, a lot and I don't want, I don't want to send the wrong message because we always should strive to obey the Lord in every command that he gives us. But I'm just telling you, I cannot I cannot stand here and hold it against this guy for going out and being unable to contain himself at the joy that he must have felt at what Jesus had brought into his life. The absolute inability to keep this to himself and the joy that he felt. Listen, can I just as we get ready to close, but can I just remind you of a few passages here? There's so, you could, you just look up the word rejoice or joy and you just see dozens and dozens of passages. But I could remind you just a few. Let's start in Psalm 13, verse 5. But I have trusted in your loving kindness, my heart shall say it, rejoice, say it, rejoice in your salvation. Look at Psalm 32, verse 11. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones, and shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. Psalm 33, verse 21, for our heart, say it, rejoices in him. Listen, do you see a pattern developing here? Because we trust in his holy name. Psalm 35, verse 9, and my soul shall rejoice in the Lord. It shall exult in his salvation. Let me just stop right there a second. Listen, as the psalmist is writing that, and as the people that are reading that, and then their life, back then, do you think their lives were just, you know, uh, smooth sailing and and, and nothing but But, you know, blue skies and and beautiful... No. No. Man, they got their stuff they got to go through too. Uh, One more in Psalm. Psalm 70, verse 4. Let all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. And let those who love your salvation say continually, let God be magnified. You know this one. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Would you say it out loud with me, this whole verse? Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Look at Paul again, first Thessalonians. He picks it up again. Rejoice always. One more, Apostle Peter, 1 Peter uh, chapter 1. Who are protected, he's referring to who are protected by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In other words, there's a day coming, ladies and gentlemen, where it everybody's going to know. You know, some of y'all have heard me say before. I've read the back of the book, and we win someday. That's not even going to be up for debate when this salvation is revealed. This, this little salvation. In this, you greatly what? Do you see? There's the question. Well, we're back to the question. There it is. Do you live in that? In this, I greatly rejoice. And watch, listen to Peter. Even though now, for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials. So I asked the question earlier. About living in the reality of the victory it's already won. So let me leave you with one more question. I asked a couple questions today. Let me leave you with one more question. It's related to this idea of rejoicing. Do I rejoice in the life that I have in Christ? Listen, I'm not asking you if you're happy about every circumstance in your life. I know you're not. I'm not. But is it possible to rejoice in the midst of those circumstances? To rejoice in the life. This is the life. Not waiting for God to do something else. This is the life that I have. Walking with Him. Telling myself about the victory that's been mine and rejoicing in that. Joy is one of the most desirable feelings that you and I can have. Would you agree? It is therefore one of the most desirable feelings that a person can have. And it is therefore one of the most effective tools that you and I can have for the advancement of the kingdom of light. For the joy of the Lord to be so evident in my life, even in the midst of those circumstances, so evident that people would see it and that God just might use it in some person's life to draw them unto yourself. I may see it, I may never see it, but to know that that when I walk through down the street, when I walk through life, when I walk through my circumstances, when I walk uh, through that office or in that workplace or or in that home, when I walk in life, I'm walking in life in the joy of the Lord. And whether it's my family, whether it's my children, whether it's my neighbors, whether it's my coworkers, but they see the joy of the Lord in my life. That's when we're living in the reality of the victory that has already been won and the life that we have in Christ. The demon declared retreat. The leper declared rejoice.
0: Well, we certainly pray that today's message was a blessing to you. And if you find yourself at times under attack from the enemy, that Pastor Clay's advice will be beneficial to you. Knowing that the enemy retreats from the Holy One, God is great, but living every day in the reality of his victory is even better. We're glad you joined us for this week's Crosswalk. Each week, Pastor Clay opens the Bible and brings out its exciting and practical truths to apply to our everyday lives. Cross Culture Church is a new church in North Raleigh, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. We meet Sunday mornings at 1030 at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. And we welcome anyone who is looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. At Cross Culture Church, we experience the liberating, satisfying, life-changing power of the cross. And it's our desire to bring that power to a culture in need of freedom, hope, and joy. We hope you'll come join us on a Sunday morning. We'll save a seat for you.
1: I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know